Hello, and welcome to The Gardens, located in sunny The Gardens is one of the largest combined zoological habitat and theme parks in the world. With over 72 thrilling attractions and nearly 11,000 animals in our care, we know that every member of your family will find something incredible each time you visit. But that's just the start of your adventure. To really see what the park has to offer, I'll turn you over to our top two guides. Take it away, boys! Welcome to ThoughtSpeak, a podcast dedicated to the weekly discussion of Kay Applegate's 1996 book series, Animorphs. My name is Coleman. And my name is Mitchell, welcoming you back. I don't even know why you bother to say the uh, weekly discussion part You know what, I, I, I pray every time, and I keep it in there, because I fear if I say monthly, or if I say bi-weekly, then it's going to be even longer just, between just episodes. Just rewrite the whole thing, what no, does it matter? Because we started with this, and maybe someday we'll get to a weekly episode, who knows? Throw, throw caution to the wind! <laughs> well, I guess, welcome to Thought Speak, a podcast dedicated to the discussion of K. Applegate's name. That's crazy no, you talk. could you could substitute with any adjective the profound discussion of K. Applegate's See, that's the good. The immense discussion of K. The Applegate's. immaculate discussion. <laughs> the immaculately conceived discussion of K. Applegate's <laughs> 1996 book series. Uh, there's a lot that of things That would be good. That would be good. Well, we didn't come here to talk about the opening. We came here to talk about number 18, The Decision. Ooh, nice segue. It was a great segue. Yeah, it is. Do you remember who talked about <laughs> And then neither of us remember. I think it's your turn. I think I've talked the last couple times. Maybe. Yeah, I was going to say, I think it's my turn, too. Talk um, it up. To talk about this book. So we are talking number 18, The Decision. I will read the back of the book. X and the Animorphs are about to have a huge problem. It starts when they decide to morph mosquitoes in order to slip by some unsuspecting yurks. It ends with them stuck in zero space with no idea how they got there, no way to get back to Earth, and no oxygen. Luckily, an Andalite scout ship finds them before it's too late. But now Axe is finally with his own people, and he doesn't know if he ever wants to go back to Earth. For ellipses. Yeah, um... Let's talk about the cover. Yeah, I mean, this cover's pretty cool. I mean, the it's green's not, a little weird. They they try to go bad. buggy with it, you know? This, which is well, they have to. It's it's the Mosquito Morph book. I know. It's it's also tough for me. I don't know if I'm getting worse, but I see just their depiction of Andalites, and it's just so goofy looking. I know, right? Why couldn't they do a more natural pose? <laughs> I think they thought this was natural for the for the 90s. <laughs> Uh, maybe i guess but it, i mean it just it doesn't look like he's in any sort of action yeah i don't it's know like um, standing there dopey looking hey it's axe all right he's kind of dopey but maybe they were trying to put him in an awkward uh position because that's how all the other kids are and maybe that'll make him look like a real boy if he's also hey, in an awkward hey, position. hey th- there was one book where marco was diving into the water like a little torpedo it's <laughs> true uh, Look at look on the inside cover. Um, is that just a monster mosquito or what? <laughs> oh, hold on. I, I have n- actually never seen the inside cover of this book, so it's going to be a reveal on the show. On... Oh my goodness. <laughs> okay. For, okay. A, that's a big mosquito, and B, I'm pretty sure that's Robin Williams' hand. <laughs> it is. It is kind of hairy and disgusting. <laughs> it's a. It's such a close up of a hand, and then you've got a glowing like african mosquito 
Dude, oh, you know what this was? Floating this above is it. The, this is the marketing team. When they heard that this was the mosquito book and they're like, it lands on somebody's hand. Okay, that's it. They, they didn't they even put, hear that. They had one they person heard... put his hand down on a chair, snapped a photo, <laughs> threw in a clip art mosquito, and called it a day. It really is like a clip art mosquito. It's like someone drew it for like a character of mosquito. It doesn't look like an actual photorealistic mosquito. Yeah, I don't think that's what mosquitoes look like, man. That is that is weird. I don't know. But yeah, and it's just like badly photoshopped. Like they literally just went into the uh the you know main menu for making things blend in Photoshop and just put outside glow, maybe lower yeah, the opacity yeah. <laughs> a little bit. It looks like it was just thrown out there. It's pretty bad. But I like the color scheme of the book. The, it's like a really deep reddish purplish kind of background. That looks Yeah, cool. I like the color too. The the like lime bleak green i'm not a huge fan of on the spine you know but. not a huge fan of the awkward faux beetles uh log line of this book change <laughs> change a little change a lot just change it's like something it's like someone trying to sound like john denver or, or uh john lennon or something and that's all it's all because of yoko ono <laughs> <laughs> or cassie whichever um she's the yoko ono of this book so <clears throat> Yeah, well, you know what? Let's dive into it. This one starts out um kind of kind of different from most books, but in a good way, I guess, with Axe getting a job in quotation marks at the food court, which goes about as well as you would imagine, which is terrible. Just another Axe trying to get a Cinnabon joke. Um Yeah, and- it's it's really nothing we haven't seen before, just more of Axe freaking out. I kind of hope the next couple Axe books kind of steer clear of the mall because it seems to, it's now starting to get like every Axe books. We got to have him in a movie theater at the mall, you know, freaking out about food or he's near the mall or he has to go to the mall for some reason. You know, it's just, we can move away. Yeah. We got yeah. that joke. They'll, they'll get him out of his, his element pretty soon. He still has not formed his scoop on Earth. I'm still waiting for that to happen. Um, I also like the fact that he's kind of a... um. Uh, unreliable narrator like the fact that he's talking to the andalite people with his narration he's like and i represent uh, a perfect human morph and how they act in their natural habitat you know and obviously in the actual action he's freaking out and eating cigarette butts and everything else (laughs) yeah um so we get that joyous scene it it doesn't last too long it's (laughs) just mostly for the recap um cut to everyone later in the woods and they are walking along talking on their way to meet eric the chi which is where they get the best missions from and i like that they have a little bit of a scene where the animorphs are um they kind of show up eric a little bit they're they're acting like they know their they know their shit at this point you know they they're eric you know he supposedly came alone and immediately uh, they call up to Tobias, and Tobias is like, yeah, except for those two other chi hiding in the woods that are in plain sight. Uh. Yeah, yeah, it was definitely a cool little moment where they're like, you know, we're we're kind of a better team than you think we are. Yeah, which is cool, because the chi are old and wise and know what they're doing as far as blending in. And, yeah, except uh, for hiding out in the forest. They haven't mastered that yet. Well, the Animorphs, you know. They know that forest really well. Well, yeah, that, yeah, Tobias too. He, he explicitly states, he's like, yeah, I know where the trees are in this forest. 
They're in there every other day, so. <laughs> so Eric tells him all about this uh, second-ranking guy in the Secret Service, and he's got the worst name ever, Hewlett Aldershot the Third, mm-hmm. which I am convinced is just something that Applegate and Grant pulled out of their collective asses. Yeah, um, and I like it. I like it for that purpose. It's and a he's... purposely bad name. Yeah, and Eric's telling him about uh, this guy because, just in the dumbest like yerk plot ever visit three <laughs> had chapman run over the guy with his van <laughs> i know right <laughs> it's just so simple-minded and just hilariously bad well we always question why they don't do more like just stuff out in the open like this and when they finally do it we think it's just ridiculous well like this literally could have been a plot point like breaking bad or something like like villains who don't know how to be villains like i picture like visitor three with chapman being like hey there he is won't you uh won't you hit him with the van <laughs> gun it <laughs> gun it <laughs> It's just it's Chapman's like a stoner movie. The, he's in the he's gripping the the steering wheel, just sweating profusely. <laughs> Seriously, uh, for the Animorphs live action movie, uh, Brian Cranston, Visitor Three, Aaron Paul plays Chapman. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind that the age differences doesn't really work. But... Doesn't matter. <clears throat> it fits. <laughs> Um, well, this guy is important, obviously, because he's the second ranking dude in the Secret Service. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's what's so important about this is that uh, nobody knows that Chapman is running run him down in his, uh, <laughs> his suburban. <laughs> and so now he's sitting in a hospital bed in a coma and no one knows about this because apparently they lack driver's licenses in the 90s. Uh-uh. Um and it's interesting. I mean, I guess it's it's the only good part about the plan is the fact that the Yerks run the hospital. I mean, they they're constantly up to no good there. So I assume so, they yeah. So you think until a little bit later in this book, they they have a good bit of it locked down, at least like a wing or something. Right. Yeah. West Wing. <laughs> um. But yeah. So they uh the Animorphs go to check on the guy in Seagull Morph, uh, just to scope it out, see if they can get to him before the Yurks get to do. Uh, even though I don't know why this guy wasn't implanted with a Yurk upon, you know, check-in. <laughs> well, as as Visor 3 expositionally states, <laughs> his uh, brain is comatose, which apparently renders them useless as hosts. So they are unable to infest him. And then he boldly states that instead he'll acquire him and work out his evil plot that way. Although, damn, that's a lot of effort to go through. <laughs> Who knew that just hitting him with a car uh, wouldn't, you know, flawlessly work out for them? <laughs> <laughs> that's how Visitor 3 is going to start solving all of his problems. He's going to have Chapman running around town in a, you know, Astrovan. <laughs> just knocking people back. <laughs> The final battle in the last book is the Animorphs against Chapman driving a, like a Hummer. <laughs> no, see, Visitor 3 probably didn't even know that this guy was Secret Service. Visitor 3 probably just told Chapman to start running over people on the half chance that one of them's an Andalite bandit and morph. So, <laughs> yeah, that could be it. Just run down anything. Animals, especially animals. <laughs> you see a skunk? Get that skunk. Yeah, we hate skunks now. Cats, leave them alone. Bring them to me, but leave them alone. You hit a cat, you're dead, Chapman. 
so as they're as they're doing their little peep show, watching him in the hospital room, Visitor Three somehow takes notice of the uh, birds on the ledge and shifts his body into an area of the room where they can't see him and proceeds to uh, morph. And we get, this is the Kafit bird that he morphs into. Um, that is not, that's not the same bird uh, that Elfinger morphs. It in. is. I was about to say that because Elfinger went through the whole um, uh, talking about how it's one of the first morphs that most warriors choose. Uh, because, you know, they have to choose at least one morph uh, right when they get the morphing ability to kind of test it out and pass, like, a driver's ed test with morphing. Yeah. Yeah, so I was saying, it's strange that he is so concerned that Visitor 3 has this uh, morph from the Andalite homeworld, because, you know, his mor- uh, the Andalite that he took over was already old when he took him over. Why yeah, wouldn't yeah. he have one of these morphs? It's incredibly possible. Alaron, as his host body, should have that morph. Like, it's not unreasonable to think that he wouldn't have a Kafit bird. That's why I, I couldn't get behind this whole part of the story where he's doubting um, the, you know, he's doubting his people, basically. And I get why they did it, but it just seems so shoehorned in. It now. really is, yeah. I mean, if they would have done something... Um... I don't know, like morphing something that was recently brought to the Andalite homeworld or something that he would have known that way. Here's the thing, though, is that this plot doesn't actually go anywhere in this book. He mentions it maybe one or two other times. Well, I think Um, it was supposed to go towards the idea of trusting his own people. And then we see one of his own people, you know, go against him. Yeah, but it's it's, you know, bizarrely unrelated and, and seemingly unnecessary. Maybe it comes up in another book. I wonder, yeah, is that in another book? Did, did Visitor 3 to, actually go to the Andalite homeworld? Maybe they're trying to weave in some kind of overall mythology storyline or something. I don't know. Who knows? Well, they could have done a little bit better job with uh, patching that you could, plot in. You could in this almost, If you wanted to play devil's advocate, you could almost say that um, it's a young Andalite who's alone and still dealing with his own insecurities and his own worries um just overreacting and being paranoid about his arch nemesis who he's already freaking out about because he's had a couple chances to kill him and he's missed out yeah you could there you could explain it away many different ways i'm sure i just thought a little bit more thought could have went into it yeah but uh and morphing this kafit bird which is like super bird in the air and it can spear uh everyone else who are you know seagulls um, they fly away and Axe manages to land on a uh, rooftop and Visor 3 follows and then they demorph for a little tail-to-tail action. Which I was not expecting this early in the book. I mean, this is like an end-of-the-book kind of thing to happen. And it's an incredibly yeah. badass little scene. I mean, this is... Yeah, but the actual action of it is about a paragraph. <laughs> it is, but, I mean, it has tension there. Uh, the fact that Axe and uh, and Visor Three are both in their Andalite bodies, and there there's a chance for a tail to tail fight. I mean, it's incredibly exciting for this early in the book. It is, you know what? When when Axe lands there and he sees Visor Three, and then the chapter breaks, and then all the other characters are arriving, and they're like giving him orders, and they're still trying to plan their move, and you know, uh, uh, they're just. It, it it is tense, um, I will say, but you know, it, nothing really comes of it, and Visitor Three runs away and 
jumps into a dumpster really quick. I, well, I like that. It was like uh, he jumped off the roof into a dumpster and broke his leg. Like it was a real exit. It wasn't just like a Back to the Future 2 where he jumps off the roof and then he rises up on a bug fighter or anything. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that would have been awesome. <laughs> no, he, he was so scared that he might lose that in true York fashion, he took the option of hurting himself possibly extremely badly. I mean, it's a good thing that Chapman wasn't down there with the van or something. <laughs> I'm over. sure, yeah. <laughs> he was on his way, though. <laughs> Just visit three and Chapman running around town in a van. He's got a he's got an exclusive line to Uber. <laughs> it should be a it'd be like uh, that Jerry Seinfeld show, uh, driving with comedians, drinking coffee or whatever. Oh uh, yeah, getting, getting just getting coffee with comedians and driving around. Uh, just visiting Reed Chapman, going through drive-throughs and and talking about life and. <laughs> anyway, but so visit three gets away and uh, uh, he acts is back in the woods, back in his home, running well, around at night. Classic scene here. Little little night run through the forest, little Tobias chit chat. Yeah, and all he, good, fil- all good stuff. Yeah, he voices his worries about uh, maybe Visitor Three has been back to the home, Andalite home world. Uh, yeah, and even Tobias realizes how ridiculous it is. He just doesn't want to tell him like straight up that that's stupid. Yeah, <laughs> and also a weird little uh, moment where Axe remembers one of his best memories on Earth. Apparently, was when. Uh, Cassie got him to morph Jake and they had dinner with her parents. That Yeah, yeah, a little callback scene. to a previous book, one that we thought was very weird. Very weird. But, um, you know, it's a treasured memory for him, and why wouldn't it be? Because of all the food. The food and just his ego of thinking that he was pulling off the perfect Jake. Perfect Jake <laughs> morph. I guess so. And the discovery that Cassie is a horrible sociopath. <laughs> just fond memories all around uh, um, right and uh, so after their little little bromance talk <clears throat> everybody gets together again at Cassie's barn we're visiting all the local areas that we love so much to uh, discuss their upcoming mission about H.A. the third we'll call him yeah and they go for the solution on the cover of the book Cassie uh, tells them about this gross morph that they could totally uh, get, you know, DNA, which they run by axe. Can we morph from blood? Is that something we could do? Uh, <laughs> Scraping the bottom of the barrel here after that mole morph idea. <laughs> yeah, and their whole plan is basically Visitor's plan, is if we can morph this guy first, we can go to the president, morph into our bodies, or morph an Andalite in front of him, and uh, reveal reveal the uh, York invasion. Dude, they should have like six Alder shots all walk in at the same time and then start demorphing. Boom! I know. I know it wasn't planned ahead of time. I know this is uh, an actual plan for them at this point in the book. But I love that in uh, in retrospect, all these plans to reveal the York invasion, you know, would be horrible if it actually worked out. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. I think we've mentioned that before too. I know, and I love that they keep coming up because it's like. No, Animorphs, don't do it! <laughs> what are you thinking? <laughs> uh, yeah, well, the plan is that they need to get close enough to Aldershot to uh, be able to pull that off. And Mosquito is seemingly going to be a hard one to get in there, right? Yeah, they have to go that route because they can't just go in there and morph out because there's going to be guards there 24-7. This is Secret Service. 
um, they can't get around it. And there's Yurk guards. It's just it's too much. So the plan to get blood and more from that is shaky, but really the only possibility. So after acquiring the mosquitoes, there's a whole chapter of that. Um, they morph birds and fly back to the the hospital and. Um, because everybody else needs to go through extra stages in the demorphing and remorphing process, and Axe does not, he agrees to be the team's distraction so that everyone can change morphs around. So he finds a room <laughs> with a, a, a seemingly comatose patient in it and demorphs, only to quickly be spotted by everyone. And this is the part that I was talking about, where by luck or chance or whatever, he runs into non-controllers. Yeah, I mean, this hospital is not completely taken over. If it would have been completely taken over, then book number six would have been invalid because that was the plan for that one, um, if you'll remember, the, the capture. But If I remember. <laughs> but anyway, uh, so yeah, he, he caused a distraction by... kind of. It almost seems like he's waiting for just that scream of the Andalite that, that reveals the Yurk. And, and when he gets it from one of the uh, guards of H.A. the Third's room, um, he kind of does this Matrix-esque fighting uh, where he's like pulling guns out of people's hands and maneuvering around them and whipping his tail blade left and right. But uh, there's too many people, too many guns, some Dracon beams mixed in there, and, and he just jumps out a window. Yeah, he pulls a he pulls a Visor 3. <laughs> he, he even says that while he does it. He, he talks about doing the same thing that Visor did. So he falls into just the most well- kept large bushes in the world that just completely hide him. Um, <laughs> and the, the guys up top, while he starts to morph into Mosquito to join the it others... It would be funny if the bushes were trimmed to look like a centaur. <laughs> and if it were an animated show, that's they would do that. Well, that wouldn't work for him, because they'd know exactly where to shoot. But <laughs> he starts morphing into Mosquito to join the others who are already uh, a few steps ahead of him, since he was the distraction. In the, uh... Yeah, I like this. I like this uh, imagery of this scene too, where he's you know, in this laying in these bushes at the bottom of the the window with shattered glass all around him, and they're firing guns down at him, and he's just shrinking super quickly. And um, I think they could do a lot of cool imagery with that. Yeah, and it's, it's... in a Wachowski brother kind of kind of way. Oh, not after Jupiter Ascending. Uh, I don't think they're gonna be making any movies for a while, but. Uh... <laughs> Anyway, um, yeah, it's, just, it's funny that they, they even talk about how they keep shooting out the window because they don't want to be responsible for another Andalite bandit getting away and Visitor 3 finding out. He'll just, he'll take them out immediately. <clears throat> and uh, I do like to picture that this window is actually like a foot off the ground and there's this tiny shrubbery hiding <laughs> axe and they're just shooting out, missing them completely. Uh, that would be humorous. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But... Axe. I'm I'm just surprised that he manages to, as a mosquito, drift from ground level all the way up. I don't know how many stories. I don't know if they gave a specific count of how many stories. It's lower yeah. than Vizzer's jump. <clears throat> well, he he gets a ways up there and into the hotel room and onto Aldershot's body. Hospital room, not hotel room. Oh, hospital <laughs> room. He he went to a hotel as a mosquito. <laughs> And yeah, um, then and you think the the mission's over or whatever, but no, there's a pup. Oh yeah, but before that, really quick, I do want to point out, uh, kind of interesting. You know, K. Applegate loves to talk about the animals and imagine what their senses are like. Kind of a cool little notion here 
talking about how the mosquito, you know, it's going to be drawn towards blood, but there's a bunch of people in the room. So uh, how Axe finds him is actually his breathing and his uh, hormones and everything versus the other people in the room who are, you know, their hearts are racing differently and, and they're giving off different pheromones. And I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, yeah, they did. Uh, Cassie does bring up the uh, carbon dioxide. Geo yeah. <laughs> notes on the uh, animal that they are morphing this week. Um, it's a nice little touch. I had surely not given much thought to the mosquito. Um, living in Minnesota, I mostly just swat them. Oh, it's terrible up there during the summer and <laughs> near waterfalls. <clears throat> well, we love our state bird. <laughs> Um, so yeah, like you said, though, there's Pop. I wasn't expecting this. This seemed like a pretty straightforward Animorphs plot. You know, they go in, they scout, it goes horribly wrong. Uh, but they kind of mix two different regular Animorphs plots where, you know, you have that first thing where, like I just said, and then you have the kind of deus ex machina, someone popping and or time freezing or something happening that they're going <laughs> right. to go somewhere else or time travel or something else. They is. they do this kind of plot a lot throughout the series. <clears throat> you know, go places and do things that don't really matter in the overall scheme of things. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is interesting, though, because they brought this up fairly early on uh, as far as when Axe was brought on board. The fact of what happens to their mass when they morph something small. And Marco joking about how, well, what if a ship hits our mass while it's floating in big blob in zero space. And so we investigate that. That's pretty much what just happened. Yeah, the odds are supposed to be, like, astronomically impossible, but, you know, since they talked about it, it makes sense that it would happen at least one point throughout the series, and this is it. Darn a limist meddling. <laughs> you think you think he had anything to do with this? If it's such astronomical mm. odds and no Andalite has even experienced it in, you know, been able to document it, then and maybe it's not so astronomical. Maybe just Andalites are disappearing left and right. Uh, and they you know just what? I'd say don't come know, back from it. You got a good point. Um, the Elemist obviously wants to hurt the Yerks. <clears throat> um, and we know he's not above uh, <laughs> directly involving himself. Mm hmm. Um, I would bet that he would be willing to put the Animorphs on Liren to do, you know, the whole war there and do some damage or, just to pull him back. Actually, I have a counterpoint to my original point that you just brought oh. up as being a good point. Um, touche. I say, Double touche. I say it's not the Elemis. I say it's Krayak. I say Krayak uh, brought them here to have them survive, get on board this very, very specific Andalite ship, and shake all of their trust and uh, their hopes and dreams with the Andalites being the good guys. They're waiting to save them. <laughs> you know, I mean, you think about that, it. Go, that is uh, that is giving a lot of thought to it's a reach. what I believe is one of the most fatal coincidence. There's flaws there's of no this book. there's no coincidences in this world. In this world of gods who are constantly manipulating time and space, specifically with these characters. I say there's no coincidences. So <laughs> I would attribute this to Krayak because, I mean, come on, they, they get put into the range of this incredibly specific ship with the one Andalite trader in all of history. I mean, come on. 
Yeah, I know. Um, so that's the scene, essentially, is that they get pulled into Z-Space. Uh, Axe is able to contact this passing Andalite ship. And uh, before they're all dead, they wake up on, on, on board the Andalite ship. And uh, we've got, we're introduced to Captain Samolin Korath Gahar, or as I call him, Captain Sam. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, he, he goes on to introduce his crew and, you know, ask Axe about where he's been and what the heck the humans are. And, um, he even kind of comes off as a good guy when they, in his, his first appearance here, when he defends Elfengor a little bit. Did you catch that? Mm -hmm. Did you catch that? Yep. They tried to build him up as a good guy. They do. <laughs> Surprise, uh, a dog didn't come onto the bridge and he petted him or something. Yeah, right? A cat. It would have been a cat. It would have been. No, cats are visitors. <laughs> obviously. Uh, so, um, we're, we get this kind of short sort of segment of the book where they're aboard this ship, uh, the, the Ascoin, mm -hmm. what it's called. Yep. And, um, you know, Axe is checking in on his buddies and they're all freaked out and worried. And um, basically, he, he just tells them to calm down and there's not really much anything they can do, but they're in good hands. And. and Here's here's a point that's going to come up multiple times in this book, and Marco and Rachel especially uh, are pretty adamant about it. They get fairly angry at Axe for immediately um, joining up with the Andalites and feeling comfortable with them and, and, and kind of distancing himself from the Animorphs at first. Uh, I don't blame Axe for this at all. I mean, this is kind of... Uh, I know he's, he's had these experiences with the Animorphs, and, um, you know, he's, he's obviously going to be friends with them and even closer with Tobias whatever that relationship is um, but I mean to come back and he is in the military I mean to come back and his people and, and to be thrown into something he's trained for already and he's already gotten used to that kind of regiment uh, lifestyle and, and it's of course he'd slip right back into it immediately like this is well, yeah, this I know is what he's built up his entire that, life you, you're an adult they're all kids and they're extremely clicky they are <laughs> and when one of your one of your kid friends turns their back on you. Um, all reasoning goes out the window. And it's funny that I say that, and I don't blame Axe for this, when, you know, the Animorphs were right uh, for him to have stayed with them. But still, it just I don't blame them as much as they do. Yeah, well, that's you and that's them. <laughs> and this is, this is basically um, a, a kind of a, I don't want to say cliched plotline, but it's a, a plotline that's been done in lots of stories before where one character is forced to choose between groups of friends and, you know, he picks the wrong group. So he's, he's hanging out, talking to the Andalites, um, feeling good that he's finally back in <laughs> good hands. Uh, they, they bring him up to speed on the war on Liren. Which is where they're heading. Where they're heading, yeah. <laughs> also, not going too well. Mm -mm. Although, probably um, better than a bunch of super smart uh, hammerhead sharks running around the ocean. Well, yeah, I, I guess it is a good thing they stopped that. I don't know. I just imagine, like, Andalites, like, doggy paddling in the ocean on Liren <laughs> and, like, sharks <laughs> ah. them down. That was their plan. Pretty much. Um,. <laughs> But even Axe notes that once they get into orbit that uh, there's not that many ships around. Doesn't seem, uh, didn't seem well, doesn't seem to be going well for the Andalites. Right, yeah. No, it doesn't look good. And even more shocking 
is the fact that the uh, <clears throat> ship suddenly makes a surprise landing behind enemy lines. And uh, Captain Sam reveals that he's uh, been working for the Yerks the whole time. What a also, bag. <laughs> I want to share a, uh, a little quote that I, I really liked. Um, <clears throat> so this is when they're on the ship and um, they are uh, coming down to Liren. Um, in a calm thought speak voice, the holographic head said, the action has begun on the continent. There are heavy Yerk forces. Carry out plan seven, four. To our Liren allies, may your great god, Chamamib, smile on you this day. And to all Andalite warriors, the people expect that every warrior shall do his duty. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought that was a great line to show the contrast between these two alien species. One of which clearly, you know, has gods that they worship and admire. And then the Andalites who are just like, do your duty. Get back to work. <laughs> and it's funny that that happens in a universe where the Andalites had direct experience with a god at one point. Um, yeah, but... <laughs> sort of. <laughs> Although they, they lose credit because on the very next page, one of the quotes from uh, from one of the Andalites is, Captain, we are on approach to land behind your lines. We won't have a prayer. They had to use that word specifically. Oh, calm down. Uh, the Andalites have all their rituals and they're the closest to like a Japanese type culture, which is a very religious based culture back in the day. So, um, you know, I know those I, words stick around and you can't say it takes credit. It ruined, it ruined my non-religious Andalite comparison. Well, calm yourself down. <laughs> At um, least I pointed it out to you. You did. Uh, but anyway, but the, the thing here, um, they've kind of been building up since Axe has been on the ship. Uh, they've been building up two people for the most part. They've been building up uh, Captain Sam, who is a D-bag, as we mentioned, uh, <laughs> and is working with the Yerks for no reason given whatsoever. Um, he just is. He's the bad guy. And then they've been yeah. building up uh, the tactical officer, which um, I don't have his name right here, but he um, he's basically... Yeah, well, he's basically been um, railing into Axe this entire time and like shouting him down and uh, he turns out to be after Captain Sam reveals he's been working and uh, working for the Yerks and he kills everyone on board uh, except the tactical officer who he cuts off his tail. Uh, cause, yeah, because that's like worse than uh, death. Hundred percent. Um, but when Axe uh, when Axe causes a distraction using the other animorphs who are helping him yeah, out, they, they escape with no problems. They're they're <laughs> on. Uh, I believe they're in. Uh, flea morph? Is it flea or fly? It's a mixture of fleas, flies, and cockroaches. So Right, yeah. <laughs> That's so awesome. And yeah, they start distracting everybody by uh, demorphing right on top of him. Yeah, they just need a second distraction and then Axe uh, disarmed them. But I also like that we didn't have to stick around with the Animorphs. We didn't have to babysit with them and have to have a way to them figure their way out. At this point, they're the Animorphs. They're good at this. So, you know, they got on the bridge pretty quick and disregarded Axe's uh, telling them to stay put. So Yeah, you know, um, we've seen them sneak past Yurk technology just so many times throughout the series. But this is like, this is superior Andalite technology. And it's happening off page. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Yeah, I really like that we didn't need to be there. Like, it's just a given that they are uh, sound in what they in what they do. But so obviously they get rid of Captain Sam and they they um, 
the tactical officer is is there and he's not he lets him escape he 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 blows a, a hole basically in the ship and everybody bails out yeah and he's not going to uh um he's not going to hold them and and force them to stay with the rest of the andalites who who die in this huge explosion that's completely just meant to take out as many yurks as possible um, yeah suicide move yeah, and it's it's cool that they did that little turnaround where just like they were building up Captain Sam to be the good guy and building the tactical officer to be the bad guy, the tactical officer was pretty cool there at the end. Oh, yeah, they pulled the old switcheroo. Make the bad guy look like a good guy, and the good guy look like the bad guy. <laughs> right. I'll never see it coming. <laughs> uh, uh, so now the, the team... Animorphs are uh, exposed and deserted on the <clears throat> Lyran homeworld. Yeah, and you know what? This is a plot line that we have talked about in previous episodes, obviously, in the escape and stuff. And we wondered about this. Does this ever happen? And it's so obvious right now. But you know why it wasn't really obvious? Because they don't mention a damn thing about the Lyrans going to their planet, fighting that war on the back of this book. This is specifically the the Stuck in Zero Space book. (laughs) Which they were there for 0.2 seconds. Right, yeah. Um, again, it just seems uh, a weird point of the plot line to focus on. Yeah, but Should be the selling point of the book. But they're here, and uh, the marketing team, I guess, just wasn't. They couldn't get past the first twenty pages. That's what really happened. But, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the the animorphs are here, and Tobias is doing his scouting routine. Um, they they're they, all freaking out though. Um, there's there's a good couple of pages where everyone's just pissed off and terrified. And... Axe is like shell shocked. Yeah, <laughs> he's just not Some... talking. He keeps saying, "I don't know." Um, after all these Andalites just died and kind of died for them, and yeah, it's pretty messed up. We got some good emotion here. Um, Tobias is looking around, discovering that the Andalites probably aren't doing so well in this war this land war so far yeah and um axe is actually the one who who decides that they should probably find uh the nearest prince prince galowit is his name who they say they can trust because he's the commander of the yurkin or of the andalite um you know defense he's he's the head honcho and he's spent his entire life dedicated to killing the yurks so oh yeah he, he's a known anyone, yurkator yeah he, he like lost his entire family to the yurks or something so if anyone they could trust it's him <laughs> they took little timmy <laughs> but that's terrible why why do you make me laugh at that? uh because you're a monster but to get um, past to get to the ocean where prince galloway is supposed to be uh under the waves because uh, they're on this very tiny smaller than australia uh continent on the Lyran homeworld. It's the only land there besides a few islands. Um, to get past them, they got to get past Yurk front lines, which are hardcore booby-trapped, and then Andalite front lines, which are hardcore booby-trapped. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's not a good situation. And we get one of the best lines in this book, and maybe one of the best lines just in Animorphs in general, to the Batmorph, Robin. <laughs> From Marco, of course. I love that one. I didn't, I didn't remember that. Um, yeah, but they're all, they're all bats. They're all flying around looking out for booby traps and, um, uh, a weird thing happens out of nowhere. Tobias disappears just randomly. Yeah, it just pops out. I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's because my age reading these books, but 
I immediately put it together that they were popping back into, uh, you know, it back to Earth. I mean, that's of course that's what's happening. They popped here, they popped back. Right. Yeah. I, I don't know. I I cannot honestly recall. I'm pretty sure I only read this book once as a kid. I've never read this book. So. Oh, you never read it. Yeah. Right. 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 Um. And I barely remembered anything from it. To be well. fair, I'm using my knowledge of the fact that they're all alive at book 53 <laughs> uh, in knowing that this happens. 19. I'm saying 53. <laughs> Spoilers yeah. for the rest of the series. <laughs> no, it's it, we have no doubt in our mind that our heroes are getting home safe and sound by the end of this thing. Um but uh, Tobias is the first to disappear, and after a little bit of freaking out about it, they all continue heading for the ocean. <laughs> but this time, uh, they're a little bit closer, because they could just fly there in a quick sentence or two. Yeah, but they did and... get through some crazy battle there for a minute um, in Batmorph, and they were set off some booby traps and a little action scene. Yeah, it was, it was definitely a nice action sequence to back up... Um, or to make up for that kind of high tensiony drama situation on the ship. Mm-hmm. Um, but they find the ocean and they're examining it in all of its magnificent splendor. And Rachel is the next to randomly disappear. Yeah. Which for them talking about how they believe that Rachel and Tobias um, could possibly be dead they move on pretty quick. They don't, I mean, Cassie kind of freaks out for a second and they talk about it for a moment, but they kind of, I think they know that they're not in serious trouble. I mean, not, they don't know, but they're not acting like they just died. We've seen that. We've seen that reaction from them and that's not this. Yeah. They, they, they're scared obviously because they don't know, you know, if it's going to hurt, if it's going to be scary, where they're going, there's no real guarantee that they'll go back to earth. I mean, they could be snapping back to Z space and then, you know, floating there and dying again for all they know. Yeah. So there's still a little element of fright to it, but it is kind of inevitable. And I think that contributes to how quick they are uh, able to move on. Um, they they find the ocean, they dive deep, and uh, they're about to morph dolphin, but Cassie brings up that they should morph sharks, which, of course, it just makes sense. Since that was the Yerk plan, um, to do that originally. Yeah. Which, it's great. Yeah. I, lo- I love that they tie those books together and that they're they're going hammerhead shark um, into the Liron Ocean. Uh, that's a pretty cool little tie. Right. It is almost exactly what we were uh, talking about. Yeah. Having not known that they would do this. Now, this next part, I think, is a little bit of a cop-out, just a teeny bit, in the fact that uh, they they see a couple uh, Lirons, and immediately they have to take them out, because Lirons are psychic and immediately will figure out their secret and could run off to Yerks, because there's a lot of Liron, uh, Liron controllers at this point. So they find out that, through from the Lirons themselves, that, oh, you don't have to kill us, just bite that you know, part of our brain off and we'll be okay. And Yerks will float away and we'll be all safe. Right. Yeah. <laughs> they do have a very convenient disarming method, which makes me think that maybe Lyrans aren't the best controllers for them. <laughs> no, they're not at all. But I mean, that, that psychic advantage really not all that useful. If the person has to get close enough that they can cut off your little dangling brain. <laughs> but, uh, that aside, I think they just didn't want this to be a complete bloodbath. Even though they kill, the animorphs kill humans like left and right. 
<laughs> so, well, not it, not like uh, not explicitly. Well, they they kill <laughs> sometimes human control- sometimes. <laughs> no, there's there's been plenty of scenes where um, it'll be the aftermath of some fight, and it talks about how many human controllers are laying on the ground in bloody pools. So, they kill human controllers all the time. Yeah, it'd be a great kids show. <laughs> it's a it's a great show to try and do live action. Who will throw that shit on Nickelodeon? And A, it would be children. great live action. Calm down. Um, just not for uh, kids. But but after after freeing these Lyrans, um, they they are given permission to acquire them, which is nice that they do a little callback there. Just so we don't um, have six pages of Cassie complaining about it. Well, she does complain, but they, they do limit it a bit. Uh, yeah. And, uh, oh, it's also, oh. I like the whole psychic moment where they all feel and, and know each other's secrets uh, or how they're feeling for, like, 20 seconds before they kind of get it under control. Yeah. Um, something I forgot to mention a while back when they were morphing bats. Um, this is when we got to find out what uh, human body part Axe thinks is the most ugly. Do you remember? Uh, the nose. Yeah. Axe thinks there's nothing uglier than the human nose. Hmm. <laughs> well, well, thanks. Considering Axe looks like Voldemort, um, I can understand his <laughs> his wonderment. Oh, you know what? Yeah, I guess I never even took that into consideration. Vastly different noses we have. Yeah, we do. Then Voldemort? <laughs> right. Oh, and then we had another great quote from Marco here when they're fighting the Lyrans. Uh... He says, hey, great war. You can't tell who's on what side, Marco yelled. What is this, Vietnam? <laughs> How many kids' heads did that go over? It's not even about that. It's like, it's it's just weird propaganda thrown into an Animorphs book. <laughs> it, I know. I mean, it's it's funny. It makes me want to research Vietnam a little bit, to be honest. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's kind of what this war and the Andalites and a lot of this is based off of. But... It's just funny that it's so blatant. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I think that's what makes it a little bit funny. Yeah. Anyway. Maybe the fact that Marco doesn't fully understand what he's referencing. Yeah. Well, you know, Marco's a smart guy. I'm sure he knows exactly what he's talking about. Um, sure <laughs> well, after acquiring the Lyran morphs, they, they have the, a little weird moment where it's awkward because they can hear each other's private thoughts and like feelings and stuff. As I mentioned, yeah. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, they, they find uh, a Lyran city and swim around as Lyrons uh, until they find the Andalites, which I thought this was yeah. weird. Um, it's like there's Lyrons, you know, swimming around the ocean who are all controllers, but this Lyran city is not taken yet. I, I, that was a little confusing. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's They pretty much swim straight into the Lyran city and they're like, oh, everybody knows what we're here for and what we're doing and they're showing us the way straight to the boss because they walk right into this area where they're indoors they're on dry land they demorph they're they're introduced to uh the leader uh prince gal galloway galloway he's very quick to you know recruit the team to help fight the yurks and jake is even quicker to agree because they've got nothing better to do (laughs) (laughs) yeah and they're trying to hurry this along because they they're pretty sure they're all going to be disappearing at this point. It's pretty pretty serious. Right. And then they go into this convoluted plot to... Uh, they have to detonate some bombs. Well, no, no, no. See, uh, I like this. This is cool. Um, oh, you like this, huh? Yeah, because it makes total sense. So 
they they and they actually wrote this well because they bring it up multiple times the fact that the Andalites look like they're losing and that they don't have enough people in orbit and it's just like what are they even doing here? It, it seems strange that they're losing this badly to what's supposedly a pretty uh, important world to the war because these psychic you know fish people and uh, I like that it was all a big ruse to make the Yurks you know feed into their ego, which is the Yurks' biggest weakness. Uh, feeding their ego, make them just storm this continent, the one piece of land that the Lyrons yeah. don't even care about. Uh, right, yeah, they they did trick them by, by making them fight on land or fooling them into fighting on land, and that is clever. Yeah, the whole I, continent I is rigged to blow. I mean, that's pretty awesome. And it's, I mean, it, it basically goes with the necessity that all the Yurks really have that can swim is hork and they're not even the greatest in the water. Yeah, they got little floaties obviously. on <laughs> <laughs> they got the water wings. Yeah. Uh, so it's a pretty cool plot. I, I thought I thought this part was pretty intelligent. Um, but It's not bad, but it just seems like a random video game level sprouted out of nowhere. If you say, yeah, they got detonates and bombs. But yeah, I think these are these aren't just bombs. These are probably like, you know, bombs put into the cracks of fissures to to make the entire continent crumble into the ocean. And it's, it's pretty badass. I guess. Um. And as as uh, Prince Gal is explaining all this, Marco's the next to disappear. Mm-hmm. Which do we even care at this point anymore? Eh, well, <laughs> at least they got a convenient science officer nearby to come up with. A quick I know this, this was so great. Yeah, as soon as Marco disappears, you there? How is explain this? Well, no, he's like, bring me a science officer. So I assume like an Indolate that looks exactly like Spock, who is the science officer on the Enterprise, uh, comes out and he's like, well, it's fascinating. Uh, you know, there no, be... I imagine all the Andalites look exactly the same, but this one comes out and he's wearing glasses, <laughs> like two sets on his stock eyes and on his normal eyes. Uh, hello, I'm the science officer. Maybe a little white jacket. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That would be cool. But uh, yeah, so he, he fills in the he lays out. He lays out the deus, deus ex machina of this book. Yeah, if you haven't figured it out so far, they're being snapped back to Earth, or possibly zero space where they're all dead. That's Who knows? Th- but probably the Earth thing. Um, <laughs> but, uh, so the rest of the teammates are like, okay, good, whatever, let's move on with it, because we're all about to die or get snapped back to Earth or something, so. Yeah, they want to rush this plot along. Mm-hmm. They are out and about. Yep, so, um, they have to fight some controllers to get to this, uh, you know, cave. It's full of snake bat things and that have echolocation, just like their bat morphs. And Cassie disappears. Just a whole kind of a. This is I didn't really care about this part. Um, no, yeah, at this part it seemed like okay, we know what's obviously happening with them disappearing. How are they going to wrap this up? And I, I give it to you that detonating the bomb really quick before Axe is about to you know, get attacked by a controller and the bomb's about to blow up and then he snaps back at the last second. Um, that that worked to wrap up this story pretty well. I thought, you know? well, I thought that was kind of dumb because it's like, I would say that while I was reading this, the second that Rachel disappeared and this was obviously going to be a thing, I knew, 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 knew for a fact that Axe was going to be the last one to disappear, you know? Well, yeah, he's the narrator. Well, I know, but that's kind of boring and obvious you know it would have been more exciting for him to snap back and like not know if they succeeded or not but um any other book acts would be like the second or third one to snap back (laughs) 
Yeah, you know, I agree with you there. But because he was important. They tend to throw Axe out kind of quickly. I'll solve my own problem by saying, well, obviously this whole thing's being orchestrated by either the Elimist or Crack, so of course he's the last one. So the last scene here of this this book is everybody returning um, conveniently to being mosquitoes in Aldershot's hospital room. Uh, they're back at the same moment that they, they left. And call me crazy, but I thought the... Initially, I thought the reason that they even popped into Z-Space was because they were, like, smacked or something. But it was because no, 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 they're no, caught they were, in the, uh, the Andalite ships. They were brought into the field. Yeah, they were brought into the field of, uh, um, not the shield, but, you know, they were just in the field of gravity uh, of a ship yeah, passing by. Yeah, so that's how they got pulled. So they're they're still, like, whole intact mosquitoes, right? And they are yeah. able to uh, just get the heck out of there conveniently. And really, it was just their, they didn't move or anything. It was just their consciousness that snapped back and forth. Because uh, we discover in this book, kind of a big discovery that we glossed over, that they aren't just some big wad of DNA or material in Z-Space. They are actually in their form, um, their normal form out in z-space like they look like an andalite or they so look do like you think human, do you think which... that um when they were having this whole adventure on Lyran, the the tiny little fragments of their matter that comprised that mosquito do you think that was missing from their body like maybe one of them had like See, shorter hair or missing a fingernail or something yeah i mean i wish they would have gotten into that could have been some like david cronenberg like uh gross out scene where yeah like cassie's missing a fingernail or something that would have been really cool um which makes it even more gross what if they happen or what if uh this happened when they were like in cat morph like something that would have been a big chunk of right oh yeah dna yeah. I mean, you know it could have happened in you know dolphin morph and then what the hell did it look like <laughs> yeah and uh and even creepier uh where are they getting this mass when they grow like are they pulling that from Z space creatures. My, my like me, there's guess creatures in Z space that, that are pulling mass. You know, from. Z space is just kind of like normal space, where there are those raw materials floating there at like maybe at an atomic or subatomic level, and that's why it appears. But all just if you're talking about um, it's... if you're talking about them actually transferring mass, because that's what we're seeing here. If if uh, if they snap into their existence in z space and its actual biological mass is not just atoms or or basic raw carbon or something like that then they're not just pulling this mass from an asteroid they're pulling it from biological creatures in zero space well so what does that mean there are other things out there floating around or you think everybody who morphs shares a collective amount of mass it's possible what if what if or uh, maybe i, I kind of picture like there's some kind of you, you ever um read or see the movie uh stephen king's the langoliers ha, ha, no but you have told me about it and it's been on my netflix instant queue forever and i just haven't been able to really dedicate myself to it well it's all about the fact that like as time passes a few seconds before our present time there's these giant pac-man like creatures like eating time before us so i picture z space is completely blank space with ships going through it every once in a while but there's also like the singular giant creatures floating around and you mean they're being their mass is being pulled out for morphine and they're dying nope i got a, i got a better way time. to solve this whole z space mass conundrum um so where where do they get the excess mass from uh when the andalites invented this morphing technology 
all they had to do was drive a preferably a suburban minivan through Z space and check out a giant ball of mass of matter or whatever they wanted it to be. I assume something that worked with, you know, Andalite biology and just uh, leave it there in Z space. <laughs> what if, <laughs> so what if, uh, so what if the Andalites, they create this technology that this morphing technology that they're getting mass from Z space. They know it has some kind of relation to Z space as far as transferring mass and they don't they don't know why it works how great would there be if there was a future book that as all these ships these yurk ships these uh, eventual human ships these andalite ships as they pass through z space maybe z space is a convenient place to dump their onboard waste you know into this just this this empty space you could just you know <laughs> any kind of organic material you're talking wink, about wink. uh space refuse Poop. you're Poop. talking about you're talking Space about the poop. expendables, if you will. I am. I'm talking exactly about that. So that's, that's, uh, that's the extra mass. That's where, that's where your grizzly morph <laughs> comes from. Just a bunch of there's, no, there's a reason why they call it grizzly brown. Or brown bear. <laughs> uh. Wow. There's a lot of ways. <clears throat> there's a lot of ways we can solve this problem. And there's also a lot of ways that they could have ended this book. Although they chose to just go for the uh, simple, everyone gets together at Cassie's barn to um, crack jokes and have Axe kind of give up the the wrap up science lesson of the book. Wasn't that mission we just went on yeah. crazy? I'm glad we can laugh. By about the way, it now. here's how it makes sense, kind of. <laughs> and that's <laughs> yeah. that's the end of and, this uh, book. They're a little they're a little quick to to. Forgive Axe. I mean, I, I like his whole kind of speech uh, that he gives saying, you know, from now on, Jake, uh, in the middle, they're three-fourths of the way through the book. He's like, Prince Jake, you're my prince until you tell me otherwise. I like that. Um, so that's a little, I can understand a little bit of the trust coming back. I, I would have liked to have seen Marco kind of hold a grudge or something like that. Uh, a grudge? Yeah, for turning on them so quickly. Oh, hmm. Against Axe. <laughs> Well, obviously they couldn't do that. They didn't have the page count to add in extra drama. <laughs> they yeah. they had a lot of stuff going for it. So, uh, well, they never leave anything unresolved. I think you could. I think you could eventually. You leave things unresolved without it having to be like a multi-part story. Yeah, I think they do that at some points in the series. Yeah, like a few <laughs> points. Yeah. Well, that's it. Shall we uh, dive deep into our reviews? Yeah, I think so. Uh, do you want to go first? or No, you go first. Okay. Wondering which roller coaster has the highest top speed? Or what exhibit is our guide's favorite in the park? Just ask them. They love to share their opinions and critical analysis to help you better plan your day. So, reading through this, I find a lot interesting about it. I, I love anytime they go more into zero space and how morphine works and transferring mass and all that. I think that's all incredibly interesting and one of the best parts of this entire series. And a whole book about that sounds great. I'm all for it. Uh, and, oh, wait, we're also going to revisit the Lyrons, uh, an interesting plot point that uh, came up earlier and is obviously um, part of the overall war between the Andalites and the Yurks. Again, I'm I'm all for it. But for some reason, this book is just not as interesting as some of the other ones. I mean, I like seeing more Andalites. I like seeing 
um, the idea of them being treacherous. Uh, I like all of that. Um, but there wasn't a lot of personal story to this book. Usually we have the narrators going through something and sometimes it's childish or it doesn't work. This one especially was more concerned with its plot than any kind of character development in acts. Um, and that concerned me a little bit and, and was less interesting to me. And they tried to go down some paths where he's worried about his home world. And they had this cool kind of confrontation with uh visitor three that looked like it was going to go somewhere. Uh, I like the name dropping to visitor four, by the way, and uh, the Liron planet and how he's kind of in control of that war. But overall, um, yeah, I mean, I think the beginning started out strong and, and going to the Liron home world and a lot of that stuff just started to get less and less interesting. And then the whole bat cave, um, you know, run to the device, even as cool as the whole bomb plot device was and blowing up the continent. There's just cool elements and not very cool execution, not very interesting execution on a lot of the uh, last half of this book. So I was really struggling between a like almost a two or a three, which is pretty low for a book that I feel like I enjoyed. So I can't really go for a two, but it's a really soft three, like uh, like three out of five Hewlett Aldershots the thirds. Um, <laughs> of course, you had to go you know. with the the very obvious one that I was gonna go with. <laughs> Extremely obvious, but yeah, I mean, it's just uh, like I, I just don't think I'm gonna be thinking about this book all that much, other than what it added to the whole zero space mass transfer thing. That's interesting and could hold up a few more conversations, but other than that. It's kind of like okay, that was book eighteen. Now let's get to let's get to the dinosaurs. Hmm. Oh yeah, of course you're rearing to go on those dinosaurs. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, well <clears throat> I think I can bang my review out fairly quickly. Um, I agree with a lot of the things you said, um, but I enjoyed the book. I think more than you did. It's it's sounding like I enjoyed it more than you. Um, <clears throat> I I love a lot of the. Uh, elements and ideas that they present in this book. I just think that most of them weren't fully developed or executed in ways that um, were totally satisfying. Uh, there's a lot of room for improvement in this book. Definitely. Um, we talked about the, the strangeness of the uh, X suspecting Visitor 3 on the Andalite home planet, even though it doesn't really make any sense, just to kind of shoehorn in his uh, worry of, of traitors amidst the Andalites. And lo and behold, coincidence of coincidences, he ends up on the only ship with the traitor Andalite in, in the galaxy. Um, in the highly coincidental situation of being pulled into Z-Space, so already it's their, their coincidence stacking. And that's never a good way to start a book. <laughs> um, one of the questions I had while reading this was, do they get to keep the Lyran morphs or not? I, I honestly don't remember if they use them anywhere out throughout the book series. Do you? Um, I feel like I've heard people talk about them morph Lyrons at some point, but it's probably another book where they're somewhere with other aliens. You know, it's probably not they're not morphing Lyrons left and right. No, I, I didn't think so. I, I I can't remember another instance where they do it. Um, another thing I wish I could have seen more of was this whole mosquito blood acquiring plot that they bring up because I don't know about you, but I was questioning how the hell they would do it. What was their plan exactly? They were going to suck his blood because they wanted the DNA that's in the blood to acquire it. 
how are they going to extract this blood from their mosquito selves in order to acquire? Because they have to be human to do it. Were... They were going to squish Marco. <laughs> I mean, like, I just, I don't get it. I don't get what their thinking was there at all. And I think it could be examined a lot more. That's an interesting idea in itself. And it just was not developed enough in this book. Um. Uh, I mentioned the huge coincidences that knock off a couple points. Uh, I'm not too sure if the Andalite traitors plot was ever dropped. Um, I don't think there are any more Benedict Arnolds, as Marco put it, (laughs) throughout the series. Um, What I think, though, what would have really made this work, this particular story, especially the story of the Lyran War, which I think is is one of the more interesting stories we've seen so far, is that they should have done it as a trilogy. Um, we've already got a trilogy coming up. Um, and I think this is where the Animorph series could have really bettered itself, is sticking with a story for more than a book. Um, it worked marvelously for the David trilogy, and there's no reason why they couldn't have done these same ideas but fleshed out over the course of maybe three books. Um, they could even work it out well, so that they would do it with Axe being the first one, uh, and then Cassie being the second one, and Tobias to bring up the last. And then it would balance out perfectly because they've already given a trilogy to Marco, Jake, and Rachel. Right? So there's there's yeah. all the characters. <laughs> I just wouldn't have... Uh, I wouldn't have like this particular storyline if if it was along the same route to be a trilogy but well no they they would have expanded a little more oomph. I, yeah. I think they would make anyway. it better um so to, to get into to get into my review i enjoyed the book based on the interesting ideas that it presented it had really nice callbacks to all the other books it fits snugly into the continuity um it had all the best running jokes. I mean, we got to see Axe's food freakouts, Cinnabons, all that, all that good stuff's there. Um, it's it's a very by the numbers Animorph book. I just think it could have been better than what it is, and for that reason, it gets a four out of five. Huh? I don't know. It doesn't sound like your review one hundred percent matched your rating. It sounds like a priest. Maybe a little harder three from you than than my soft. I don't think you but, can go judging uh, the enjoyment that I got out of this book. No, I, I so I felt four it. out of I, five I... Ascalons. <laughs> Thank you. Ooh, nice, nice. <laughs> um, no, it's I I could see a four out of this book. I mean, it, it just it depends on kind of the mood you go into it with. I think maybe. the biggest because um, there are some cool scenes. There's a lot of cool elements. Yeah, the but... the biggest problem though. Like, if I could fix one problem, and only one, from the book, it would be the way they get home. I just hate that it was so inevitable, so unescapable, and so unimportant. It's another one of these Animorphs books that's, well, our problem's going to be solved by just dying, or not dying, or doing nothing, or <laughs> coincidence, and... It would have been, been cool if they were popping back into zero space. Because their mass was still in zero space, so it would have been cool if they were popping back into that. Popping fresh. And um, yeah, they were popping into that, and they were suffocating again. And the only way to get back to their bodies on Earth Demorph. is to like 
mentally no no mentally well yeah oh my god that would be great <laughs> if they had to if that i was gonna say something completely different but no that's a way better idea if they had to um while they were suffocating kind of reverse demorph from another plane of existence uh demorph into their bodies that would be crazy and then they had to deal with the fact that they just demorphed in a room full of controllers it would have been even better if in just like a paragraph they'd have had a giant floating elemist head appears and just like blows on them and they all wake up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But anyway, that's uh so okay, that's our that's our review of book number 18. That book 18 has um, episode 20 in the can. In the can. <laughs> um I'm I'm just ecstatic for uh for our next review. Oh yeah. Really next time on Thoughtspeak. Ah, uh, I'm doing the artwork. I'm are you, pumped. Are you going to make special uh, mm-hmm. openings and and closings and intros and whoa, outros whoa. and zippity doos and don't go crazy. We don't have whistling bungholes, Husker doos, Husker don'ts. <laughs> I don't think we have time to do all new openings and closings. No, we but... don't. But you could you could throw together a couple uh, audio tracks from Jurassic Park and call it a day, right? <laughs> no, I, I I care more about our openings than that. Nope, throwing um, Jurassic Park on top of the cold opening from uh, the first couple episodes that we used. No, we don't want to do that because that's what every Animorphs podcast has done. <laughs> I'm not kidding. There's two other Animorphs podcasts. When they got to Megamorphs 2, they just put the Jurassic Park music over it. So, uh, yeah, not let's not do, do that. that. Yeah, but hey, maybe once we get to the David trilogy, we'll have some new openings. Who knows? Ooh, um, tantalizing. Mm-hmm. But anyway, point is, I'm incredibly excited. Um, my girlfriend's excited too. She's become uh, quite the listener of our episodes. She's caught up. Oh, she's really. a fan. She's not only a fan; she's an avid fan. Wait, has she liked uh, us on Facebook? She's liked us. She's given us a rating on iTunes. Wow, on her a rating on iTunes—that's like one of the nicest things that anyone listening to this can do for us. I mean, giving us a ratings on iTunes or reaching out to us on Facebook or. You know, doing any of those, it makes me want to get the episodes out faster. Does it feel like it to you? Yeah, you know, especially when people write to us at our email address, which is simply thoughtspeakcast at gmail.com and tell us lots of nice things about how great we're doing and encourage us. Yeah, and I've had, we've had such a boost on Twitter <laughs> at Morphcast. Uh, it's crazy. I and mean, we've got almost 88 followers on there now um, and rising. Really? Wow. That is impressive. Uh, our very first episode is about to hit our 1,000th download. That's really? nice. It's at like we 977, have... 980. Yeah, and overall, with all our episodes, we have over 10,000 downloads now, right? Ten? No, not 10,000. I don't... Wait, maybe. Yeah, yeah maybe. we do. We do. <laughs> did we do that math? We did. I always forget check. math. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh we have um we have almost 7 800 uh downloads per episode besides the big ones which are uh nearing, you know, 1000 or over 1000. So We're getting there. We're um, close. I'm, I'm pretty sure we're over 10,000. <laughs> no, I know we are. Um yeah, we're doing really well. Um still uh, uh <clears throat> 21 five-star reviews on iTunes and I believe we're looking at 14 written reviews. I just know that because it's been like that for uh, a while now. 
Look, I mean, we want... We are obviously just another podcast asking for ratings and feedback and everything else. But I got to tell you, with how busy we are, you know, if if we did hear more from the fans, if we saw that there was a community that really wanted us to be putting these out, uh, right now we're doing these mostly for us, for our own enjoyment. If there was really a thriving community asking for these episodes each week and, and really pushing us and giving us ratings on iTunes and all of that, um, it, which it would, would sure cause as heck, more people. It would sure as heck make us get to this uh, super special Megamorphs episode all the quicker. Yeah, and the whole iTunes thing, that's not just for us. It's not just to feed our ego. If we get more ratings on iTunes and we get them quickly and, and get a bunch all at once or so, um, that's going to make us get into the newer noteworthy section on iTunes, which is going to bring so many more people into the, you know, Andalite, Yerk battle and it just seeing this podcast and so many people out there who read these books would jump on the podcast and jump on to listening uh, if they just knew it existed and we can only do so much marketing ourselves. So to have iTunes ratings, that leads to more people seeing that the podcast exists in the first place. Yeah, it it's a definite help. And plus, I check it like religiously, people. You don't realize how addicted I am to just clicking that refresh button. Wiping the tears away, as I see. I told them that's not about our ego. <laughs> <laughs> I just like to contradict things that you say. I know, I know. So but... that's that's it for this episode. And um, next time, Megamorphs is going to be really special because uh, we have the possibility of bringing in a new host, a new uh, guest host. Please let yeah, me know. Yeah, I, I don't know. Guest host. Yeah, I, I gotta I gotta talk to her. I mean, uh, I don't know how excited she would be to a podcast, but. It's funny because uh, Liz, my girlfriend, that's who we're talking about, guest hosting, um, she loves dinosaurs. It's one of the reasons I'm in love with her. She's a huge dinosaur fan. And she's incredibly interested in Jake, Marco, Tobias, Rachel, Cassie, just from listening to our podcast. She's never read any of these books before. Yeah, that's important to note that she is basing her opinion on the series solely on what we've said. (laughs) <laughs> about yeah it. <laughs> it's crazy and um i don't know how actually interested she is but maybe if she listens to this episode and maybe if a lot of people write in and uh goad her a little bit maybe she'll jump on next week not next week whenever we <laughs> record megamorphs number two <laughs> no remember we're a weekly podcast we are very weekly uh yeah Bi-weekly. you know and, and if liz is uh if she's not somehow capable of of doing this we've always got nate oh i'd love to bring nate back on Maybe we can have both of them. (laughs) Oh my gosh, we're expanding. (laughs) We'll see. Or maybe we can bring Nate in for the the trilogy. Ooh, gosh, I can't wait till the David trilogy. Cannot wait. (laughs) Well, we've got to go through uh, some some heavy hitters first. Megamorphs and Cassie and yeah. Number 19? 19's huge. So, okay. Well, that's going to wrap it up. We're going to sign off here, but... uh, I hope you enjoyed this episode and I hope uh hope you guys stick with us and even if you don't, you know, give us tons of ratings and you know, it is great to know that you guys are listening and that you enjoy us talking about animorphs and that we're bringing some perspective to it that interests you. And uh, I like I talking to the people on that. Facebook. Come on out and say hi on Facebook. Yeah, Mitch Mitch talks to a lot of people on Facebook and I'm just trying to market and coordinate and try to get Michael Grant to talk to me on Twitter. So And we're still posting <laughs> to Reddit every episode. We are. Um, that's true. So, all right. Well, that's, yeah, we're done. Uh, we're going to stop talking now and, um, 
hope you enjoyed it and I hope you join us uh look out for our next episode which is another big megamorphs one expect us to go all out we love our megamorphs episodes we're gonna go back in time on behalf of everyone here at the gardens we hope you've enjoyed your stay and welcome you to come and see us again soon or as they say on the serengeti tafadali m2 kupata jambo hilienje yakichwa yangu